Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Talking Sport with Evan. I want to thank you so much for the support for those that have listened to the show thus far and for the new listener. Thank you so much for finding me. I do ask that you subscribe and rate and review on your favorite podcast form. You can find Talking Sports with Evan pretty much anywhere podcasts are distributed. iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, um, you name it. You can find Talking Sports with Evan, like I said, anywhere podcasts are found. And please subscribe, please review, and please share with your friends. So a lot to talk about today. We just saw the Super Bowl get played, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating Kansas City, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. We also uh, had the NFL Honors Weekend happen, where the awards were announced, and the Hall of Fame class of 2021 was announced as well. A few no-brainers on there, and then a few that... They got snubbed. I think is the best way to put it. A few got a couple. A guy, one guy in particular, got completely um, snubbed, in my opinion. So, and I'm not the only one that feels that way. Um, but I'm going to go into that in a little bit as well. Um, so, with that said, once again, thank you for listening. And if you um, let you know, this show is presented to you by. Uh, Coach Evan Fitness, if you're looking to get healthy, lose some weight, get into shape, then you can shoot me an email, coachevan66 at gmail.com. You can also interact with the show. You can follow me on Twitter at EvanWithSports, or you can find me uh, via email, TalkingSportsWithEvan at gmail.com, or on Facebook, TalkingSportsWithEvan. So, First thing I want to touch on, the Super Bowl. And I know a lot of people are quite surprised on just how much Tampa Bay dominated the game, holding Kansas City just to three field goals in the game, and Tampa Bay scored 31 points. Um, If you would have listened to last week's Talking Sports with Evan, I predicted, now that I didn't get the score right, but I predicted that Tampa Bay was going to win and why they were going to win. And sure enough, exactly what I predicted would happen happened in this game. So Kansas City, in the NFC Championship game, loses their starting left tackle. Earlier in the year, they lost their starting right tackle. So they took the guy who'd been playing right tackle, filling in, kicked him over to the left side, kick the right guard out to right tackle, and put somebody else in at guard. Well, Tampa Bay's front is too good. Like, we found out in the NFC Championship game when the Packers were without David Bakhtiari that they had to kick Billy Turner to left tackle and put Rick Wagner at right tackle. We found out then just how good that Tampa Bay front is. We found out as Packer fans, um, or I found out as Packer fan back in week six, I want to say, just how good that Tampa Bay front four is. So what Tampa Bay did is they rushed four, had two deep safeties to not allow Tyree Kill and company to get over top and said, go ahead and dink and dunk. We're going to flood the passing lanes. We're going to rush four. 
and it worked. Jason Pierre Paul, um, <clears throat> Vita Vita Via, um, <clears throat> Bar Barrett Sue, they controlled the game. They, those guys controlled the game, allowed Devin White and Levante David to flow to the football, and Antoine Winfield Jr. had an interception in this game, and the Tampa Bay defense just feasted for the, with the fact that Kansas City was without their starting two tackles. If those two starting tackles play, does Kansas City win? I think so. I think it would have been similar to when those two teams played earlier this season because then Mahomes would have had enough time to likely find the open man. If David Bakhtiari never tore his ACL before the Bears game in Week 17, do the Packers beat Tampa Bay? Well, yes, I think they would have beat Tampa Bay as well. I'm not downgrading Tampa Bay. I'm just saying when you play a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you need to have full strength up front in order to survive or things will be very difficult for you as we saw in the Super Bowl and in the NFC Championship game. And Tom Brady had an efficient game, 21-29 for 201 and three touchdowns. So Tampa Bay definitely had a, a – Tom Brady definitely had an efficient game. Leonard Fournette, um, <clears throat> a good 16 carries for 89 yards and a touchdown. Um, Ronald Jones was tough to bring down, 12 carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. And Rob Gronkowski, six catches for 67 yards and two touchdowns, including a big catch over the middle to uh, set up, I want to say, with their uh, third touchdown of the game. Tampa Bay is a well-coached team. They have a very good offensive line, very good defensive line, and ultimately that is where they won the game. And I I learned the hard way when I was making my predictions years ago when Denver played uh, Seattle in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, when Denver played Carolina in the Super Bowl, I predicted Carolina was going to win and Denver had the better front, and they just completely dominated the game. I also predicted Denver would beat Seattle, and Seattle's front four just feasted on Peyton Manning. So I've learned that when in doubt, typically go with the teams with the better front. And I know Kansas City won last year over San Francisco with a ferocious pass rush, but Kansas City's offensive line was fully healthy. And their defensive line was a little better last year than they were this year. So, a couple of things I want to pull from this game as well. So, because I know a lot of people are upset over the officiating. Uh, the holding call against Mike Evans, where they called for the uh, receiver, I mean the defensive back holding Mike Evans, to me, that you could have went the other way. Um... So I missed the second quarter due to driving home, or most of the second quarter. So I can't speak for the the holding penalty that eliminated a Tom Brady interception. I can't speak on that. I haven't been I haven't gone back to rewatch that. But what I can speak on is the two pass interference calls right before halftime that set up um, Tampa Bay's. Well, that would have been their third touchdown. Um, so the first one was a pass interference. The receiver is Mike Evans. And the, the corner fell and grabbed him as he fell to the ground 
impeding on Mike Evans' route. For, for those that are new to the show, and for those that may not have heard me mention this before, I, I am a football official. I, I, I officiate high school and youth football. Um, I know the NFL rule book is slightly different for the most part than the youth and uh, high school game. But that call it, uh, with the pass intended to Mike Evans, that gets called every time. That was textbook pass interference. They didn't tangle the feet. The guy tripped over his own feet and yanked Mike Evans as he was falling to the ground and impeded on his route. That is textbook pass interference. And could you argue if it was catchable or not? Well, the thing is, if the guy doesn't grab Mike Evans, could Mike Evans have ran it down? Possibly. So that that definitely impacted Mike Evans' route. So the flag was smartly thrown and smartly enforced. It was actually smart play by, I think it was Breland anyways, because if Breland doesn't yank on him, it's likely a touchdown if Mike Evans catches it, rather than, well, now you, you reset the chains. Now you can potentially force him to a field goal attempt and try again. Unfortunately, I don't know if it was the very next play or two plays later, they got Kansas City for pass interference once again in the end zone. Honey Badger, they called for pass interference. Um, I didn't like that call. As an official, I did not like that call. I felt that the contact was mutual. The ball was definitely uncatchable. And I don't think the contact impeded Mike Evans' route. And Mike Evans initiated contact. To me, that should have been flag in the pocket. And then the very next play, touchdown pass to Antonio Brown. So I understand people's frustration. I get it. I'm frustrated by a couple of the calls that were made as well. But at the end of the day, too, here's, here's a couple of things. So I, I saw a lot of people saying that, why wasn't this called um, in the Packer game last week? Why wasn't that called in the Packer game last week? It's so nice that they're calling pass interference and holding today. Where was that two weeks ago? Well, I get the frustration, but it's different crews. <clears throat> um, you had likely people on this officiating crew that are are more strictly enforce any kind of grab or hold or pull or contact is likely what you had. And I know you're going to say it's because it's Tom Brady and the officials are paid off and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it, 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 the officiating crew is different than the NFC Championship game. The game's going to be called different, more different. It's going to be called different, uh, differently. We just ha- I did, Unfortunately, we got to accept that. And Kansas City has a reputation of being grabby. They like grabbing people. They like pulling people. They like, they like making contact with people down the field. And I'm sure Arians, being the, the really good head coach that he is, as much as he can be a prick sometimes, Arians being the head coach that he is, I'm sure got in the officials' ears pregame and said, hey, this is what they're known for. Watch it. They're going to be very handsy. This team is extremely handsy. 
and Kansas City has been extremely handsy all season long with their secondary, and it bit them in the butt. Breland has a reputation of grabbing. He spent a very limited time in Green Bay. He had that reputation. He spent time in Seattle. Again, he had that reputation. And once you have that reputation, officials are going to be more ticky-tacky on it. And unfortunately for Kansas City, and fortunately for Tampa Bay, you had an officiating crew that was looking for those things. So officiating's hard. It, it looks easy on TV because then we get 12 different replay angles in super frame-by-frame slow motion. But when you're going full speed, you have a split second to decide was that a flag or not and throw the flag. you got a split second to decide. Officiating's hard. <clears throat> and, again, I agreed with one of the pass interference calls. I don't agree with the other pass interference call. Um, but there were some milestones in the Super Bowl. Bruce Arians uh, winning his first Super Bowl. First ever female official in the Super Bowl. Applaud to her. That, that was That's great. And I feel she did a great job officiating the game. I personally feel she did really well for what her role was. Um, I think she did extremely well. Um, Tampa Bay, very diverse coaching staff. Um, two women on their coaching staff. So basically, definitely you won one for diversity in this Super Bowl. Now the question is, can Tampa Bay bring it together one more year? Tom Brady's a year older. Fournette is a free agent. Gronkowski's a free agent. Um, Chris Godwin's a free agent. Barrett's a free agent. I think Sue's a free agent. Jason Pierre-Paul, I believe, is a free agent. Is Tampa Bay going to be able to bring all these guys back and try it again? I don't know. Salary cap's not going to really raise it all. It's going to be a little higher than people anticipated for the 2021 cap. But Tampa Bay won't have a ton of money to spend. And they got a lot of key core guys from this Super Bowl winning team to try to piece back together. We'll see. Same with Kansas City. We'll see what they're able to do as the Pat Mahomes contract kicks in. Um, as that starts kicking in and affecting the cap more and more is Kansas City going to be able to run it back and try for their third straight Super Bowl appearance I think that would be the first time since Buffalo if Kansas City is able to make it for a third straight year so that's my thought on the Super Bowl now let's jump to the NFL honor show slash Hall of Fame ceremony uh, not ceremony induction uh, announcements so, the winners, so Pepsi Rookie of the Year went to Justin Herbert. To me, it should have been Jefferson from Minnesota. But unfortunately, the Rookie of the Year has turned into more of, and the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year to Justin Herbert. The Offensive Rookie of the Year award has basically turned into who's the best quarterback award of the rookie class. That's pretty much what it's turned into. Not downplaying what Justin Herbert did at all, but Justin Jefferson was just incredible. I think he, after the third week of the year, he just burst onto the scene and he was incredible. He looked like a seasoned veteran on that Viking team. So I, I feel they got that award wrong. 
Offensive Player of the Year went to Derrick Henry. I definitely agree with that decision. Uh, 2,000-yard rusher. Um, he uh, definitely deserved uh, Offensive Player of the Year. I think Devontae Adams had a case. Maybe it's my Packer homerism, but Derrick Henry was your AP Offensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year went to Aaron Donald. I personally think T.J. Watt should have been a better choice for Defensive Player of the Year, but Aaron Donald's a big, bigger name. Everybody knows Aaron Donald. Everybody is aware of just how freaking good Aaron Donald to me, T.J. Watt had a better year statistically, but right now Aaron Donald has a reputation. The AP Defensive Rookie of the Year went to uh, Chase Young, and I definitely agree with that. Chase Young, a great young player for the Washington football team, and he is going to just get better and better each and every year. The Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award went to Teddy Bridgewater. Great to see that after... Uh, being the backup in uh, New Orleans for the past couple of years after coming back from a horrific knee injury. AP Comeback Player of the Year, Alex Smith. That's a no-brainer. I don't, I don't understand why he didn't get every vote for Comeback Player of the Year. But for what Alex Smith overcame in order to step onto a football field again, I, I, I don't see how anyone else should have even got a vote. It was a great story, great presentation, great acceptance from him. And it definitely, you know, brought people to tears. Assistant Coach of the Year, Bill's Offense Coordinator, Brian Darbolt. I, again, I think a great, uh, I think a great choice. Uh, Josh Allen had a, a huge year three jump. And a lot of that is that Brian Darbolt, he plays to, Al, uh, to Josh Allen's strength. He doesn't try to do things that Josh Allen doesn't do well. And he runs the offense based off what Josh Allen does well. Um, the clutch performance of the year, uh, Hail Mary touchdown from Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Again, no issue with that. The Deacon Jones Award, uh, Pete to TJ Watt. So I guess he didn't leave with no. He didn't leave the weekend with no hardware. Um, the AP Coach of the Year went to Kevin Stefanski and. Stefanski, and I'm kind of torn on that. Um, I think Matt LaFleur deserves better consideration for Coach of the Year. Two years in a row, he led the Packers a 13-3 and season and to the NFC Championship game. Um, Stefanski went into Cleveland, got them to the playoffs. Yes, they, they won a playoff game without him. I think that could have told you just how good of a coaching staff he put together if they were able to win a playoff game without him. But I guess that shows you just how good of a coach he is that he put a coaching staff together that could win a playoff game with him unable to coach. Um, The Walter Payton Man of the Year to Russell Wilson, I think is fair enough. And then the AP Most Variable Player Award goes to, drumroll, Aaron Rodgers. No brainer to me. He uh, he got the majority of the votes. I believe Josh Allen got four and Pat Mahomes got two, if I'm not mistaken. Aaron Rodgers was definitely the league MVP this year. He he uh, bounced, great bounce back year and last year wasn't even that bad, but he had a huge year, put up great numbers, led the Packers offense to thirteen and three, 
really just had Devontae Adams, who he missed, four, I think, what, two and a half games, uh, uh, Aaron, four, three games, something like that. Aaron Jones missed some time, and the offense never missed a beat, and a lot of that had to do because Aaron Rodgers was in complete control of the offense. And I'm very excited to see what year three in the Matt LaFleur system does for Aaron Rodgers. Super excited for that. And then the Hall of Fame was announced. And the Hall of Fame class, Alan Fanica, fair choice. He was a very good offensive lineman for a while. Tom Flores finally righted a wrong. He was uh, one of the only guys with two Super Bowls, uh, not in the uh, Hall of Fame. Kelvin Johnson, first ballot, first team. Not sure how I really feel about that. Uh, A lot of times wide receivers have to wait before they get in. Um, quarterback Peyton Manning and defensive back Charles Woodson. I put them together because really their football career uh, deserved to be put together. Um, Woodson won the Heisman the uh, same year. Peyton Manning, I think, finished second. They both were drafted in the same year. They both won Super Bowls, uh, Manning twice. Um, They both retired together. And I think it's only fitting that they get in the Hall of Fame together. Uh, Drew Pearson, wide receiver, finally gets in, um, long overdue. And then scout Bill Nunn gets in as well. I don't know a lot about Bill Nunn. John Lynch got in too. And I say this not saying John Lynch is not a Hall of Famer. Because John Lynch did put together a very solid career. And he definitely uh, deserved consideration for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. However... I quite can't comprehend how John Lynch gets into the Hall of Fame over the inventor of the Lambo Leap, Leroy Butler. I personally feel Leroy Butler is a better player than uh, Lynch. I feel he's a better player than Brian Dawkins. I feel he was a better player than uh, uh, Steve Atwater. Leroy Butler redefined what the safety position is in the NFL. Teams scouted, teams game planned based off where Leroy Butler was on the field. He got tons of sacks, interceptions, invented the Lambo Leap. Yeah, invented the Lambo Leap, um, which then, you know, obviously the Packers offense kept using because defense doesn't get in the end zone as much. And he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The Packers Super Bowl loss to Denver, and I feel if the Packers would have won that game, Leroy would be in the Hall of Fame right now. But Mike Shanahan's game plan was find Leroy on the field and go the other direction because he was that much of a game changer. You know, if if it wasn't for Leroy Butler, you don't see some of the you know some of the great safeties we saw come after Butler: Ed Reed, Troy Palomalu. Um, I don't know if we see those guys um, if it's not for Leroy Butler. But Leroy Butler definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And last Packer news uh, for the week, and I will uh, talk NFL draft a little bit next week uh, with a guest scheduled to appear. He was supposed to schedule to appear this week, but some things came up. Um, But I will talk some draft positioning for the Packers next week as well run through the NFL division by division to give you kind of a up, you know, my thoughts on situations arising a la Deshaun Watson. 
Maybe he'll be have a new home by next week. Maybe he'll still be in Houston. Who knows? But Packers hired Joe Barry to be their new defensive coordinator. It looked like it was going to be Jim Leonard. They offered Jim Leonard a contract. They offered him the job. And ultimately, as I expected, and I'm not saying that because I want to pat myself on the back, I just didn't see Leonard leaving Wisconsin. Ultimately, he didn't. And they settle on Joe Barry. I'm kind of torn on this because Joe Barry doesn't have the best track record as a defensive coordinator at this point in the NFL. He's had two failed stops in Detroit and Washington, but he does have much better talent in Green Bay than he had in Detroit and Washington. Um, And Matt LaFleur has shown for the most part that when he doesn't get second-guessed on coaching decisions, and I say that because I know the special teams coordinator wasn't a good hire, um, the one they just let go. But when he has hired the guy he wanted and not been overridden, most of his coaching staff has done extremely well. So I will give Barry the benefit of the doubt. I will see what he can do in Green Bay. Maybe he learned from his past experiences. Maybe he learned under Staley and Wade Phillips. We'll see. But I'm not completely thrilled with the signing, uh, to the signing, to the hiring. I don't think it's a slam dunk hire. Um, But obviously, after Leonard turned it down, was there really a slam dunk hire? Obviously, other other than Leonard, um, LaFleur is interested in that style of defense the Rams played and that style of defense that Vic Fangio runs. So... With that, um, thank you so much for listening. I will be back at it next week, talking NFL Draft, talking Milwaukee Bucks, talking around the NFL. And as I mentioned, you can find me on Twitter, um, at Evan Witt Sports, Witt with one T, on uh, Gmail, TalkingSportsWithEvan at gmail.com, or on Facebook, Talking Sports with Evan. So until next week, hope you all have a safe rest of your week, and I will talk to you later. See ya.